Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Holy Living, where we make the holidays holy days. And we are now into the third week of Advent, and our theme for this week is joy. Yay, I have my joy doll. I'll probably live with her all week. I'm so excited about this week. So a little explanation about this week, in case you haven't heard, is that it's the week where you get to light the rose-colored candle. And the idea is that the color purple represents liturgically repentance. So people were used to seeing the purple color in the season of Lent and in Advent, since it was also a season of fasting and introspection. But for this one day in the middle, they sort of throw off all those shackles of fasting and they enjoy themselves for one day. And that's when you light the pink candle showing that it is a day of, you know, sort of festivities. So you can think about it like an appetizer for the week to come, right? The very, the, the, the big feast that's coming on the 24th on Christmas Eve. So this was kind of their midway point and it was supposed to be a foretaste of the feasting that was to come, but it was only for one day. And so you're supposed to party it up that day, which I totally did. It was yesterday. We had so much fun. We did so much stuff <laughs> that I actually wasn't even able to make the video I was supposed to make because I was too busy experiencing joy. So here I am the day after. But to this week, we're going to talk about joy. I'm not sure exactly how this one particular video is gonna work out if it needs to be more than one. Um, I'm, I might just, break it up like I did last week for peace. But um, there are so many scriptures about joy. There's tons in the Old Testament. Some of the most famous ones about, you know, that your joy comes in the morning and it's shouting for joy all the way through the Psalms and all of that. Um, but then there's quite a few in the New Testament too. But there's this one phrase that stuck out to me this time. Uh, about joy. And it was that there were several times where the Bible says, that it, your joy can be made complete. And I've heard that, you know, a couple times, but it never really just struck me. But this time I thought, what does that mean to make your joy complete? So I guess at first I have to just acknowledge that, that indicates that your joy could be incomplete. So you could be pretty happy, pretty, pretty fired up about what's going on. You could feel a lot of of joy in your heart, but still something, there's that something that's keeping it from being complete. So I just wanted to look at the few times that the Bible says, make my joy complete. So we're gonna look at that and see what we can glean from it. The first time that I noticed it was when John the baptizer says it. So if you go over to John 3, I'll set this up for us so we know what's going on. So basically John had been doing what he was sent to do, which was to prepare the way for Jesus. And he was the one that was preaching in the wilderness, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, right? And he was telling everybody to repent and he was trying to make a straight path for Jesus. And he was trying to get people to get to the point where they could even hear the truth. You know, John the Baptist was the guy that was preaching the truth and going up against everybody in the religious establishment and all of that, you know, he was the guy, the wild guy in the desert. I kind of like this guy. Um, so he's preaching all of that. And this is even, you know, before Jesus comes on the scene, then Jesus comes on the scene and John gets, he acknowledges it. He gets it. He's like, oh, he is the Messiah. This is it. Like even he is like, oh my gosh, it's happening, you know, <laughs> all this work, all this stuff I've been, you know, out here doing and, and I'm 
this, this, is, this is actually what I've been preaching about. So he acknowledges that, but not all of his disciples are getting it. So there started to be this sort of argument um, between some of his disciples and this religious guy, and then they start realizing, well, Jesus is over there and he's baptizing a bunch of people. What the heck? What's going on, right? So they go to John and they, they kind of tell him about it. And this is going to be in verse uh, 27. Because they were, had just said, everybody's going over to him. You know, kind of, maybe it was jealousy. Maybe it was like, hey, what's the deal? We've been working hard over here. So in verse 27, it says, to this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. And here we find the first thing that the Bible says is going to make our joy complete. So what can we learn from John here? You know, the thing I think about is how, you know, he had been sent on a mission. God had given him a special command that he was going to go out there and he was going to be like a voice crying out in the desert. That's what it's in the wilderness. That's exactly what the prophecy says about him. And so he goes and he does what God sent him to do. And there's just this feeling of joy, contentment, um, just you know, when you feel like you're right with God, like you're doing exactly what you were made to do, when you get to that point where you go, I get it, Jesus is the only way, God is really God, my job here is to help other people to see that, even with the talents that I have, the special gifts that I have, the, the station in life that I'm in, the um, neighborhood that I live in, all of that, um, whatever circumstance I find myself in, I get my purpose. And when you get your purpose, that is the beginning of joy. Honestly, this is the way, this is what I think about. Like, you know, when you finally figure out, oh, going to college is not about me getting my degree. Going to college is not about me getting glory or my job is not about me getting money and upward advancement and how much you know can i have my family is not about the glory that it can bring me and the joy that it can bring me and the all that no it's when you go oh all of this is to point people to god like that is the point of my life and when you understand the point of your life when you understand that that age-old question of why are we here what have I been put on this earth to do? When you really get that, that is like, oh, the beginning of joy. And so this is, you know, this is what John had. And this is what we can have when we are smack dab in the middle. And we're, we're not getting caught up in all the other stuff. We're not getting caught up in what the rest of the world around us is doing. All the stuff that they're collecting, the next house that they're buying, the vacation that they're planning, the, you know... All, all the things that have to do with this earth. We're not getting caught up in that. We're just singularly focused on our mission for God. When we do that, that's the joy we can experience. But it obviously 
was not the whole shebang, which is crazy, you know? Because sometimes we can, even in a good way, we're, we're, we are going about our mission. We're doing what God put us here to do. Um, but somehow it's weird that our joy can become, yet again, circumstantial or set on the wrong thing because it can be about how successful we are in our mission. It can be about what are we accomplishing and who's coming and, and, and how good are we doing, how well are we doing at that mission because we start to worship the outcome. We, we worship what is quantifiable. That's what we look at, like, well, well, am I making a difference? Like, is my organization making a difference? And is my fight for this making a difference? What about my fight for this over th thing over here or whatever? And we start to worship the mission, okay? So that's a danger we can fall into, but this helps us to reset ourselves because it says, the you know, he said, I told you a long time ago, I'm not the Messiah, but I was sent ahead of him. Now, I... I don't think too many of us have a Messiah complex, but if there was someone on the earth that w that could, <laughs> it would have been John the Baptist. I mean, because seriously, he, he was filled with the Holy Spirit inside the womb. Remember when he jumped for joy because he's inside his mother's womb, but he jumps for joy because Jesus comes near. When Mary goes to visit Martha in there, as inside the womb, John is jumping for joy because Jesus inside the womb is near. Whoa, let that just blow your mind for a second. So if anybody could have had a Messiah complex, it would have been John. I don't think too many of us have a Messiah complex, but this just reminds us we're not Jesus, okay? I don't know that many of us need to be reminded. I don't need reminders, oh my goodness. But um, he's just reminding them, look, I know you're following me and I can do, I do see this. I do see after you, you know, when you've been living life and you've had a following and, you know, I guess now in life, some people are starting to understand this because there is a following on social media. When you start getting these followers, you know, you can have this false sense of like, wow, I'm really something, you know, I'm really, I'm, I'm a great leader, you know, because I have followers on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and whatever the hell, you know, whatever else there is. So, you know, it can feel that way when you start to have people following you. And I found it's, it's almost, you know, I've had to, I've fallen into that trap too, you know, of thinking, you know, my worth is coming from how many people are following me, you know, or what, you know, well, am I making a difference? Then if, if someone's following me, you know, there's that old question that says, if you're, if you want to know if you're a leader or not, look behind you, see if you know he's following you, then you'll know if you're a leader. But if people are following you, you can start to think that it's you. And he's like reminding them. I already told you I'm not Jesus. He might even be reminding himself, I am not the Messiah. Then it says, he tries to give them this analogy that they can understand. And he's like, remember that the bride is meant for the bridegroom, the bride and the groom. They're, they're the ones that go together, right? I'm just the best man. You know, I'm attending the groom and I'm not the one that's made for the bride. The bride is not made for me. I am just attending the wedding and I am gonna be so fired up when that you know groom appears. And that's what he's trying to say is he's trying to give them an analogy that they can understand. So let's think about this. You know, the wedding is for the bride and the groom. 
not the best man. The best man is just privileged to get to be there. He's so happy. He's happy for his friend. He's happy that this is happening. And that's what I, I witnessed a wedding just last weekend. And I was thinking about how cool it is when you're like, oh, my friend is finally getting married. It's so awesome. You're just so happy for them when you see people in love and you're like, yes. And John knew my whole entire job was just to point to Jesus. And now Jesus has come. My joy is complete. You know, he got it back. If, if anything had gone to his mission, if any praise or worship or glory had gone to his job well done or his mission, at this moment, he right-sided it and he goes, no, no, no. All of my joys made complete in God alone. Jesus alone is my joy. And then after that, he says those famous words, I must decrease, right? He must become greater and I must become less. And he wasn't saying that as a martyr. He wasn't saying that in a disappointed way. He's like, it's it. I did it. I finished my mission. Here it is. And to be quite honest, after this, what happens to him? Well, he's, he's put to death. But he was doing and he did what he was sent to this earth to do. Our joy will be made complete when we are right in alignment with our mission, right in alignment with what we were created to do, and yet knowing there is something greater than our work and our mission. God does not depend on our success at our mission. Um, our acceptance is not based on our success at our mission. He is the only thing that matters. He is the only thing that we worship. We don't worship our success. We worship the creator. And when we keep our minds set on that while doing what we were made to do, but knowing there's something greater, I'm going to do a lot of it well, and I'm going to mess up a lot. You know, I think that this is a lesson in itself is accepting the fact that the mission has doesn't have to be done perfectly. Jesus is already perfection. Jesus is perfection and he's the only perfection. We're going to do our dead level best. You know, I've tried my dead level best for the past, what is it, uh, 29 years, 28 years to live for Jesus. But oh my goodness, I am just a person. I'm fallible. I messed up. I mean, I have messed up so many times and I look back and I go, oh man, I wish I hadn't said that. And I wish I hadn't, or, and then I wish I hadn't said it that way. Even if I was right, I wish I hadn't said it that way. I've got regrets and, oh man, I wish I hadn't done that to my kids. You know, like just so many things that as a parent, you, even as a parent alone, you know, and when you see your children adulting, you're like, oh dear, I'm sorry. You just want to apologize to them all the time. You know, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, and then you look at all the people that you've studied the Bible with, or you've baptized, or you've just influenced in some way, and you look back and you're like, oh, I really shouldn't have said it that way. I'm really, really sorry. I mean, there's a, it, I'm saying it in almost a joking way, but that's not, that's not how I feel all the time. I mean, sometimes I'm just really, really regretful and sorry, and I got to go to God and just go, oh, I really messed that up. And and I know he's forgiven me, but I'm having a wave of, sometimes you can have a wave of guilt or a wave of regret. It just flows over you when you're like, oh, wish I hadn't done that that way. Or I wish I could go back and redo that. And, but you know, something that I've realized is that 
this has been such a good lesson for me just as I'm growing to go, yeah, it, it, it wasn't all about you anyway. It's okay. God is bigger than your mistakes. God is bigger than your regrets. Confess it and let him, let him heal it and let him change you. That's all it is, is he wants to change you. Now, Satan has a plan too, because he wants you to let those regrets and those mistakes and, well, I don't know. And, you know, sometimes you realize that you were wrong about some things. You're like, so am I wrong about everything? You know, I mean, it can go crazy in your mind because Satan is playing in there. And what he wants to do is he wants to shut you up. He wants you to get, he wants to get you to stop spreading the good news, doing whatever it is you're doing. He wants to throw you off course. And by showing you all your mistakes, your failures, mess ups and all that, it's like, yeah, don't just get out of the way. You don't need to be talking. You don't need to be spreading the good news, whatever. I actually heard a really good explanation about how to fight that from Francis Chan's new book, Until Unity. Holy moly. I don't want to, I don't want to overwhelm people because people get overwhelmed with the amount of books I read. <laughs> so don't feel like I'm pressuring you to read this book, but holy moly, at some point that needs to be on the list until unity. But he has this great explanation because, you know, leaders like on his level, especially they have to, they have to endure a lot of criticism, a lot. And a leader in general, you have to endure a lot of criticism. A lot of people, you know, slandering you and just saying vicious things about you actually, and your family and all of that. And he has this beautiful chapter about how to deal with that. So it's amazing. But I think for me, it's just been good to go through this time in life as a reminder. It wasn't all about you being perfect. It wasn't all about you finding the formula and doing it the right way. And because, you know, I'm a formula person. I like that. I like the pill. <laughs> give me the pill to fix this situation or give me the formula and I'll put it into action. But, you know, that's all just my flesh. That's all of my, my thoughts and my ways. But God's ways are higher and his thoughts are higher. And Jesus is higher and he is bigger than all of my failures and all of my mistakes. And he is bigger than yours, disciple. He is bigger than yours. Sure, you're gonna make mistakes, but it's Satan that wants you to stop trying. The only thing you can do, <laughs> I've said this for years, the only way you can fail is to quit. That's it. Whatever's happened, no matter what has happened, you can get back up and keep going. Just remember, you were doing all this for Jesus anyway. Your joy is complete because of Jesus. He makes our joy complete. So I don't know who needed to hear this today, but I certainly needed to, to preach it. So I love you guys, and I'll make another video soon.